All right, Isaiah chapter 1, verse 15. Stand with me as we read God's word today. Isaiah chapter 1, verse 15. These are the words of God spoken through the hand of Isaiah as he says, When you spread out your hands in prayer, I will hide my eyes from you. Even if you offer many prayers, I'll not listen. Your hands are full of blood. Wash and make yourselves clean. Take your evil deeds out of my sight. Stop doing wrong. Learn to do right. Let's pray together. Father, these are bold words as you spoke to your people in Israel, and they are bold words in the 21st century. It is a reminder to us of where our life and our hearts should be as we come into your house to worship you. You are worthy of our best. Help our minds and hearts to be attentive today to your word in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, I'm going to start a little, just a two or three week series, and it's going to be short, I promise. Just a couple weeks on worship. And you know how my brain works. There are things I want to share with you about how to worship. But what I found is I looked in the, in the Bible, there are wonderful, wonderful examples of how not to worship. You can come in here and I can come in here and we can really mess it up. I hope you haven't messed it up yet today, but we can sure do that. So this morning's message is, is entitled, Really Bad Worship. Really Bad Worship. Now, I'm not going to ask for testimonies, but I've been in worship services and I know you have. I'm 59 years old. That's all. I was born and raised in a Christian home. I'm in a lot of worship services in a number of different comp, uh, countries and a number of different languages. I've been in a number of different denominations and uh, I've been to all kinds of Baptist church services. And I know, again, many of you have done that as well. And I've seen amazing worship. And I've seen, ooh, not so amazing, really bad worship. Have you ever, don't raise your hands. Have you ever been in a service where the worship was just really bad? Well, you're in good company. That happened in the Bible more than once. In fact, I don't really have time today uh, to, uh, to go to all of those passages where it talks about bad worship. But I am going to share just a few of them with you. Isaiah chapter 1 that I just read obviously is a big problem. They're coming into worship and God basically says, no. He says, I'm not listening to you. I shut you out because of the heart that you have when you come into worship. Your life is not right. And we're going to see this again in just a moment in Isaiah. So as we're going to look at this, I want to look at what is great worship? Amazing, awe-inspiring, God-approved worship. But I thought we should begin with terrible worship services in the Bible. Back in the 60s and 70s, there was no such thing as children's church. Not that I was aware of, although my parents probably prayed for such a thing. Mom had five kids in six years. And so if we were old enough to walk, we were in the service with them. Dad sat on one end, mom sat on the other. All redheaded, by the way. My cousin is here today, Mitzi, and uh, she's redheaded too. She's the best of us. Amen. And Wade, her husband, is here. So it's good to have them here. And, uh, but us, little five little redheaded kids sitting there. And uh, so mom was on one end, dad was on the other. And they, they had a full-time job keeping the peace among us. We were always in the sanctuary singing those boring songs and listening to that old preacher talk on forever. I learned the art as a child. I learned the art of daydreaming. 
And perhaps you've learned that art as well in worship service. I've been in many worship services that were wonderful in the past 59 years where God was glorified, the people were united in worship and lives were changed forever. In fact, as I look back over my life, most of the worship services I don't remember, but a few I do that really stand out. The service where I surrendered my life to ministry, the service where I got saved, service where some of my brothers and sisters got saved. And I remember revival services where everybody is, is worshiping God in a way that I don't normally hear it. And I remember those services as powerful as they were. But I've also been in some rather strange services. I've seen openly angry people in the service arms folded, noses in the air, bitter and angry. They didn't like the music or they didn't like the preaching and they walk out, I'm just not being fed. I've seen and heard that happen. They didn't like anything that goes on. I have a friend that pastored a large church in the Metroplex where people in the Sunday morning service, a much larger church than this, by the way, in the Sunday morning service, people were yelling at each other in the service. I have another friend, pastor in the Metroplex, another pastor, I've known him for many years. He had a coup attempt in his service. He had a couple of the leaders in the church get up on the stage and take over the service to vote out the pastor. Now they lost the vote and the pastor won the vote. So then they, the second vote was to vote them out. And that was their last day there in that coup attempt. I had another pastor, a friend, a mentor of mine, had the very same thing happen. Man in the church, and he's a formidable, my, this pastor friend of mine is a formidable guy. He's a big, tall guy, broad shoulders and, and deep resonant voice. I would not want to face him. But the guy with audacity came up onto the stage to take over the service to call for the pastor's resignation. The pastor, this was during the welcome time, the pastor said, my friend said, he walked over to him, looked him in the eye and said, if you try to take over this service, as soon as it's over, I'm gonna take you out back and thrash you good. It shocked the guy so much that he just turned around, went and sat down. <laughs> now I fear if I did that, that wouldn't make any difference, but I've seen some bad services or have heard some bad, uh, bad services as perhaps you have as well. So this morning, we're gonna look at both the prophet Isaiah and the apostle Paul and some really bad worship in the Bible. What is bad worship? Today, I wanna give you three times in the Bible where we see really bad worship and what made them so bad. First of all, bad worship is focusing on self rather than God. It's focusing on self rather than God. One of the biggest challenges that you and I and all of God's people have, regardless of the, the denomination or the nationality or the language that is spoken, it's a challenge in church not to think about yourself. Satan knows. If he can distract you and me and get us thinking about ourselves, we're not thinking about God. And if we're in worship and we're not thinking about God, Satan has won. Worship is done. There's no way it is impossible to worship God without thinking about God. And so that's the first challenge, focusing on self rather than God. It is often worship that is self-focused rather than God-focused. Now, I'm not saying that we do this on purpose. I don't think you walked in here, anybody walked in here, including myself, thinking, you know, today I'm gonna to think about me. <laughs> I need a little me time. 
sure, surely you didn't think about that. So I'll go to worship service so I can sit there and think about me. We don't think about, we don't even realize that we're doing it when we think about ourselves. In Isaiah chapter 29, God says this again to the, through the prophet Isaiah to the Israelites of the day, the Lord says, these people come near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. God is saying this. This is the least side version. I'll give you my paraphrase. God says, do you think I'm an idiot? I hear you singing. I hear the preaching. But you're thinking about other things. You're not thinking about me. Your hearts are far from me. You know how much credit they got for worshiping God like that? Zero. None. Won't you feel silly like I guarantee they did on judgment day? They died like you and I are going to die. On judgment day, they go before the throne of God as their judge, and they found out that they had worshipped for decades and decades and decades, hundreds and hundreds or even thousands of worship services, and they all meant nothing to God. Oh, I don't want to hear that on judgment day. But I guarantee if our hearts are no different from theirs, we get no credit for our worship of God. Their hearts were far from God. Self-focused worship asks, what do I want out of worship? What do, type of service do I like? Of course, we should be asking, what does God expect out of my worship? Isaiah was saying, you guys are just going through the motions. And God knows the difference. I told you last week when we were studying a passage in Colossians chapter 2, and if you weren't here, I encourage you to go back and watch that service or read Colossians chapter 2. Not right now, but later on. It, what an amazing chapter it is. And it was the first part of chapter 2 that we looked at. And I told you that Paul wrote that letter while he was in prison in Rome. It's one of what we call the prison epistles. Uh, and so he wrote that letter in, in prison. You can't tell it, though, from the letter. Most of the time, you just can't tell the context because Paul is so strangely upbeat in the letter. I was talking to the staff about that this week, and we had a little conversation about that with a couple of the staff members. When he was in prison in Rome, his accommodations were less than ideal. The food selection was probably terrible. But he never mentioned or, or let alone rambled on about it for, for chapter after chapter after chapter. He could have done that. I think I would have done that. You'd think he would at least say, can I get a pizza in here? Something? I'm the apostle Paul. This bed isn't comfortable at all. I have that thorn in the flesh, that physical disability, and oh, woe is me. I'm hurting right now. I need some hydrocodone. He doesn't say any of that. He doesn't talk about himself like that at all. On the contrary, he, what he said was the opposite of that. In fact, in the verse before, the, the two verses right before our passage for last week, what a beautiful passage it was, but in the two verses before, I did not read this to you last week, this is the end of chapter one, the last two verses, in Colossians chapter one, verse 28. He says this, this is Paul speaking, in, in jail, we proclaim him, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone perfect in Christ. To this end, I labor, struggling with all his energy, which so powerfully works in me. 
Now notice what he doesn't say. To this end I labor, struggling, because I'm rotting in this jail cell. I'm struggling because the food's bad. I'm struggling because I physically am hurting. He doesn't say any of that. It's not relevant to him. What is his struggle? He says, to this end I labor. I'm struggling with all of his energy, which so powerfully works in me. You wouldn't even know he was in jail. I'm not in jail. You're not in jail. You're, you're here today. Maybe those watching online are in jail. I don't know. But listen to me. I'm not in jail, and I don't think like that. How many of you, when you came in here, man, thought, man, I'm just struggling? Oh, man, the, the power of God is surging into me. I may just go kaboom <laughs> if I can just contain it. We don't think like that. Paul thought like that and he was in jail. And when you think like that, when you're aware that God is working in you, living in you, and powerful in you, the other stuff doesn't really make any difference. There are things that you and I rightly could complain about. Now, we're not in prison. We're not in Paul's condition. But there are a lot of things in your life and my life that aren't very good. Some of them we had nothing to do with. It's just the way that life is in a fallen world. We could complain. Sometimes I often do. But that's not worship. Paul wanted to give God glory. It wasn't about Paul. It was about God in his mind. So you don't like where we set the thermostat this morning or the song choice or the volume of the drums. I remember the very first week we got drums at First Baptist Church of Azel. It was about year 2001. So long time ago, decades and decades ago, we had an organ when I came here and love organ, but, um, uh, well, there's a long story, but we gifted that organ to another church. We, I had an all black church come into our church one Sunday night, cause it's all white town, Angel was. And as a young preacher, I wanted to shake it up a bit. So I had all black church came in, all black choir. They came in about 10 minutes late and they came in up the aisle singing as they came into the building, singing a song. I mean, they were, it was fantastic, by the way. Those, those white people in there, my little congregation, man, they were going at it. They were singing like I'd never heard before. The, that black choir had them going. And so uh, the, 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 the guy, I don't know, I've told you this before, but the guy was over there playing that organ like I'd never heard of organ. I mean, he was just tearing that thing up. And so after it was over with, I spoke with the deacons and I went up and I said, would you guys like to have our organ? Because we don't really use it. And they were so excited. They came and got it the next day, used it in their service. And so, yeah, I know God was praised. I should have gone and recorded some of their services on that organ. It would have been a blessing. So Paul's focus is on God. It's not on comfort, creature comforts, or anything else. It's on God. Secondly, bad worship is focusing not only on yourself rather than God, but bad worship is focusing on experience rather than God. Now, this is a part of selfishness as well, and we do it without even realizing it. I do it without even realizing it. It's worship that asks, how do I feel in worship? The focus is on the experience. People walk out of a service maybe and say, you know, I just didn't feel the spirit there today. Well, boo-hoo, who cares about your feelings? You never see that in the Old Testament. You'll never see that word feel. When you go into the service, I, I want, God says, I, I want you to feel good. <laughs> That's not how worship works. It, it doesn't matter what we feel. 
It matters if we're glorifying God. Listen to me. If all of our hearts and all of our minds and all of our souls are united in worshiping and glorifying God, you're going to feel pretty good. And I tell you why, and by the way, that's not, see, this kind of worship, this selfish kind of worship bypasses God. It doesn't care. It doesn't matter if it's God or Buddha, Muhammad. It doesn't really matter as long as I feel good when I walk out. I just want that experience. I want that feeling. Well, no. But if God is glorified, you're not a robot. I always say this. We're not Vulcans. We're, we're human beings. And uh, if we're worshiping God and God is glorified and we see God on his throne and, and we're doing our, our part in bringing glory to God, you're going to feel something some about that. So don't, don't feel that you can't ever have any kind of emotional feelings in church. But when it's selfish, here's what happens. And, and this is my challenge as well. I can tell you over the years, there have been services that were deeply meaningful for me. I had an experience in a church where God convicted me or encouraged me or revealed something to me. And and I remember, again, being in revival services that were just so powerful. And here's the challenge, the temptation. We walk out of that service, and next Sunday we want to repeat it. And then the next month we want to repeat it. And the next year we want to repeat it. And we can never quite repeat it the same way. We can't, we want to, we want to put it in a can or a box and, and like a product and sell it. You know, we want to reproduce it. And when we come back in the service and we don't feel that way the next week, we go, oh, it's just not very good worship. The spirit isn't here. Well, again, you don't have to feel a thing. Now, I hope you do, but you don't have to feel a thing for God to be glorified. Your focus and my focus has to be on, the, on God. Focusing on experience rather than God. If you want to feel better, by the way, I want you to feel better too. If you want to feel better, go get a steroid shot. Eat healthy, exercise, you'll feel better. I think what we really mean is that we want to feel better about our lives, about our problems, about our emotional needs, about our spiritual needs, or about our relationships. We want to feel better about those things. And those are good things, by the way. I encourage you to go to our small groups. We have Bible study groups where there's a whole lot of feeding that takes place. The, the purpose of those groups is study the Bible. The purpose in here is to worship God. And you can worship God there as well, and you know, et cetera. But that's the main focus when you're in here. If you don't ever go to any Bible study groups, by the way, it puts a lot of pressure on the worship service. You're trying to get the worship service do, to do something it really wasn't designed to do. Worship service is very simple in its approach. It's to glorify God and lift up his name. Worship is to God, for God toward God and about God. He's the focus, and that's when worship happens. Um, number three. Number one, bad worship is focusing on self. Bad, uh, number two, bad worship focuses only on the experience. And number three, I don't know any other way to say this. This is Paul's language. This is Paul saying this. Number three is what he would call crazy worship. Crazy worship. There's some crazy worship out there. Turn on the TV and you'll think, they're crazy. <laughs> There's some crazy people. 
And there, to be sure, there are crazy people out there. I mean, certifiably medically crazy and crazy people do everything crazy, including worship. And there's some craziness that goes on. And sometimes they form particular groups where they can all, all the crazy people get together and they, they're crazy in the worship. And God bless them. <laughs> you know, there's no getting rid of the crazy. If they're that way, that's gonna be one of their challenge. Now, Paul had this problem. It didn't take, you know, 800 years or 80 years or 20 years. Paul very quickly had this issue with one of his churches, at least one of his churches in the New Testament. Can anybody tell me which church it was? Corinth. Yeah, there's crazy worship going on there. And it, now Paul is dealing with all kinds of issues in the church. I mean, they were messed up. They really were. A guy was sleeping with his stepmom and all the guys in the church are patting him on the back and there are cliques in the church that won't even talk to each other and on and on and on about that he went. And so it went. So Paul had to deal with those things and he had to deal also with the abuse of spiritual gifts, which he did 12, 13, and 14. And when he's dealing with those, those issues of spiritual gifts, he says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 23. They were misusing their spiritual gifts in worship. He said, so if the whole church comes together and everyone speaks in tongues and some who do not understand or some unbelievers come in, will they not say that you are what? Out of your mind. Will they not say you're out of your mind? In 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 32, if you go down just a few verses, it says this, the spirits of the prophets are subject to the control of the prophets. For God is not a God of disorder, but a God of peace. So here's what they're doing. Young people, here's what they're doing. They are exercising their spiritual gifts in church. They say, I've got a gift of, of prophecy. I'm, I'm, I've got a gift of preaching. And apparently there were multiple members that felt that they had the gift of preaching. And who knows, maybe they did. Others had what we call the gift of tongues. They spoke in tongues uh, during the service. And what was going on is one person would get up and start preaching over here. Apparently somebody else over here would get up and start preaching even louder to show that he had a, the gift even better. And then somebody would get up and start speaking in tongues and two or three others would get up and start yelling in tongues even louder. And it was just chaos. And Paul's saying to the church in Corinth, you guys have no boundaries. When you come together, people come in and they think you're crazy. Now here's the problem with that. If you're sitting there thinking, so I'm crazy, so what? <laughs> what do I care? Well, the reason Paul told us to care is because there are people who don't know Jesus Christ that come through our doors into our service as they did with the Corinthian church. And if they come in and they see all that craziness going on, they're gonna think these people are crazy. They're gonna turn around and walk out and be gone. And that's what was happening. And Paul was deeply concerned about that. And he says to them in verse 32 that I just read, yes, but he says the spirits of the prophets are subject to the control of the prophets. What he's saying is if you have a spiritual gift, it doesn't mean that the Holy Spirit has given it to you to do it with it anything you want, as much as you want in any way you want. He said there's still boundaries. You're still responsible for that gift. Can't blame that on God. And so he says, use it wisely in uh, worship. Now, having said that, uh, I'm happy to say this is not an issue here at First Baptist Church. Now, I'm not saying you're not crazy. Maybe you are. I don't know. But you're not, uh, you're not exhibiting craziness in the worship service. Thank you for that, by the way. I do appreciate that. Now, over the years, there have been conversations that I've had to have with members whom I love dearly. Some of them are deceased. And, and again, 
they were my brothers and sisters in Christ, but they, we, we had, we're a melting pot. We were from all different kinds of backgrounds and uh, denominations. And so I had one guy and he just, he, he loved to dance. He loved to dance in the aisles. And he was six foot four, six foot five. He's a big dude. Some of you know who I'm talking about. I loved him to death. But I had to go make visits with him every few years and say, look, you know, you, you can't dance in the aisles. Um, you're just too big. You're, you're just huge. So whatever's going on, n nobody hears anything. They don't hear the song or the preaching or anything else. They just see this giant Wookiee-sized person dancing in the aisles. And so he, I didn't do this, he did this. He put a chair for himself back in the very far back corner and, and you couldn't see him. He just worshiped the Lord in his way back there and we let him do that. But he respected the fact that he didn't want anybody to be distracted from his worship and I appreciate that. And while it hasn't been an issue here about a lot of craziness, it, doesn't bring, it does bring an important point that applies to us all. As a general rule, we must remember that we are here for corporate worship. That is a large group of people. And we must not act in a way that distracts others from worship or troubles them so much that they can't worship effectively here. I'm gonna speak generally here and I'm gonna give you a number of different ways that you can distract. Young people, listen closely. One of the ways is, and, and I'm, I'm not blaming you, uh, specifically, again, you guys are pretty well behaved. Pretty well behaved. Where's my son? Um, but every now and then in every church, there is a little problem with PDA, public displays of affection. Now, if you're over there and, and I'll say this, honeymooners, young people, I can tell how long you've been married by how close you're sitting right now. And you just can't get enough of each other. Remember those days? Oh, yeah. Well, uh, some people are just very demonstrative about that in worship. I don't know. You want to convince your spouse uh, or your loved one um, or yourself. You want to convince yourself that you're crazy mad in love. And so there's a lot of doting and a lot of touchy-feely going on. And I've seen a little bit of kissing. No, just no. Um, <laughs> Again, I say these things because I love you. And uh, some of these apply to us, some less so. If your baby is screaming and crying at the top of their lungs, in the first service there was a, a couple with a baby right there. Um, if your baby is crying, I'm not talking about fussing, that happens. They fuss for a little bit and they get quiet. But I've seen where babies would just scream at the top of their lung for the, thank you. Was that, what, you poke them or something? And they, they scream for the entire service. Well, at that point, you want to take them out. You don't want to be a distraction to other people. If you're singing at the top of your lungs three times louder than anyone else, and your singing is a distraction in worship, then please don't do that. Sing a little quieter. Lower your voice to blend with God's people. Please understand, and I know you don't think this, but God is not deaf. You know, we often picture him as this old man with a long white beard and we think maybe God can't hear me. And so I just, no, he can hear you just fine. Um, the biggest problem we have in here is the opposite of that. I call it collective mumbling. <laughs> now, again, I love you all to death. I, I, I think it's time for me to have another black choir come in and teach y'all how to sing. 
And some of you are, do great, by the way, but I, if I had a choice, I would turn the whole thing up a notch. Um, I, just seeing with all your heart. I go to this other Baptist church from time to time. It's up in Sanger. I have my brother that lives up there and they have two pianos in their church. There's only about 50 or 60 members of the church and they, man, they sing. They have to have two pianos because one piano, you can't hear it because they're all in there just singing and they're good singers. By the way, it's an independent fundamentalist Baptist church of all things. And I, this old heretic Southern Baptist goes in there and I just, I just love worshiping with them because of the music. They just love to worship the Lord. If you're talking openly in worship, having open conversations with those around you, please stop that. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Adults, senior adults, youth, if you're just openly talking to each other in worship, I can tell you what you're not doing. It's unlikely that you're talking about the glory of God in your conversation. You're not focusing on God. Don't distract one another from worshiping God in worship. Um, again, I love you, but I don't want to hear about your fantasy football league because we can hear you talking. I know, and I'm just stomping all over your toes, I know that your Facebook feed is very important to you, but it's not important to the families around you in worship and they can see your tablet. They can see you scrolling, scrolling. I can see your face glowing. <laughs> you can check to see how many likes you have after the service. It'll still be there for you. And for the love of my savior, if somebody calls you on your phone during the service, don't answer the call and start talking to them. I've actually had that happen here. Not lately, don't look around. <laughs> and, and I don't mean to bash you, young people, this applies to everybody. I know you have to get up and go to the bathroom, but not five times in a worship service. My children amaze me. They get in there and they're playing on their computers and I, they play games and all games are social now. Old people like me, I don't know if you know that, but games are social. They're always playing with their friends. And so they, they all have a mic on and they're talking the whole time and I can hear them in there. And my kids are talking to your kids and they're just talking and talking and they can stay in there for hours without so much as a drink or a single restroom break, come into worship and got to leave for five times. So as best you can, I'm not saying my kids, I mean your kids, certainly. <laughs> as best you can. Now I know some of you got bladder problems and kids that's coming <laughs> and you got to leave, but as best you can try to stay in the worship service for worship and not be a distraction to those around you. Again, I say these things because I love you. And you may think, well, it's my right to scream the songs or let my baby cry the entire time or talk if I want to or surf the net or answer my phone. It's my right. Well, then you would be wrong. I love you, but in worship, the apostle Paul does not care about your rights. He cares about everyone being able to worship God. I want for you, as well as for me, when we go to judgment day, God says, well done, good and faithful servant. You worshiped in a way that drew others to me rather than distracting or disturbing them. Paul says in Philippians chapter two that we should consider others before ourselves. 
Let's make that goal the goal of our worship. There's a recent song that was written by a young man who led the worship at his church service. He was an extremely talented singer, but the preacher, the pastor there, took him aside one day and told him that he could not lead the singing at the church anymore until he changed. Because the pastor noticed that the young man was more interested in the attention he received than in worshiping God. That was a tough thing for that young man to hear. He was mad about it. Put, got a lot of pushback. You may be mad at me right now. And so he was mad at what the pastor had to say, but he knew in his heart the preacher was right. So six months later, he wrote a song and uh, taught it to the church there, and it became famous. These are the words of the song. Listen to the words. King of endless worth, no one can express how much you deserve. Though I am weak and poor, all I have is yours. Every single breath, I'll bring you more than a song. For a song in itself is not what you've required. You search much deeper within than the way things, than the way things appear. You're looking into my heart. I'm coming back to the heart of worship. Listen to what he says. And it's all about you. It's all about you, Jesus. I'm sorry, Lord, for the thing I've made it when it's all about you. It's all about you, Jesus. And that is biblical worship. Pray with me. Father, we come to you today and we acknowledge there are times that we come into worship and we are so distracted. Satan does that. He gets us to worry about all kinds of things outside in our life and problems and issues and opportunities, what we've done and what we're going to do as soon as we leave and what we've got to do this week and so many things come into our life. Father, I pray that you would help us to focus on you. Help us to remember in corporate worship that it's not about us individually, that we collectively as one want to do everything in our power to bring you glory because you're worthy of no less. Forgive us where the, uh, we have been like those in the day of Isaiah, that we honor you with our lips, but our hearts are far from you. And we don't even realize it, as they didn't either. Father, help us in everything that we say, pray, sing, and do, that will bring you glory. Right now, as you're praying, no one's looking around. Can we just for a few moments, with perfect focus, worship God? Right where you are. All your heart, all your mind, all your strength right now, all your spirit, worship God and bring Him glory. you stand as you continue to pray. Maybe God wants you to come and kneel and you want to kneel before him. A sign of humility. Maybe God is calling you or your family to, to join with this fellowship of believers. Or maybe you want to give your life to Christ. You just want to come down and say, Pastor, I want, to, I want to surrender my life to Christ. How do I do that? And become a, a candidate for baptism. Or maybe you just want to come and kneel and worship. If God is leading right now, here's your opportunity. Here's your invitation. You come as we pray.